Podcast. Welcome to Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton, the Frail Audio Network. This is the number one money-making podcast in the business. If you want to make money, tune in now. We're going to teach you how to make cash, fat stacks with daddy's daddy's dough and big blow and hot tubs and all kinds of that kind of stuff. As everybody knows, a hot tub means you're rich. So what you're going to do, you're going to keep listening. I've got a great guest today. His name is Mark McKinney. He's a comedian. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's pretty much done everything you can do when you, as far as things that you can do. And he's uh, going to step in here. But first, you should know uh, to rate and review the podcast if you can. You're listening experience device also subscribe that way next time one of these drops in you just get it right away it just drops in your inbox you get an email with a file attachment of over six gigs and you download it and listen to it or you can use something else you can stream it you can do whatever you need to do so do that rate review subscribe the email of the podcast is live to tape podcast at gmail that's l-i-v-e-t-o-t-a-p-e-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at symbol G M A I L dot com dot com is the secret ingredient to the subscript of that particular of that particular email okay now we're now we're getting back into it we're hearing some music mark just arrived he's here now for real mark's been here but now he's mark's always physically present mark hasn't have his headphones on yet so he doesn't know what i sound like he's gonna hear it he was here yesterday i heard it yesterday Oh, you did? You heard it yesterday. Listen to your bower. Like this band, you listen to, you ever listen to 10CC? Yeah. They're a highly underrated band, wouldn't you say? They weren't underrated at the time. I know they that, like, a, oh, a lot of people were. How oh, do you know that? Not in love. I'm not in yeah, love. Yeah, that's a hit. That was Well, that was the hit, but it was also so new. See, I remember yeah. I'm not discovering this in some sort of retro wax way. I was, I had pimples and I heard it on my <laughs> shitty stereo. You had pimples and you heard it on shitty stereo. That was music right there from the band 10CC from their first album called Sheet Music. The song's called Wall Street Shuffle. A lot of people don't know about that band because I feel like I talk to people all the time who like really into Steely Dan. They're really into um, Sparks. Uh-huh. But they don't know 10CC. And I don't know why, but I guess they just don't. Was it Maybe they were treated like... Novelty? Like it was a novelty hit, like the guy yeah, who did Blue so. Jean Baby Queen. Oh, I can't even remember now. That was a solo artist. I don't know, Do you know who that, that is. You don't Blue, know Jean Blue Jean Baby Queen? Queen? No. I think it came out around the same time, and it was sort of had a similar kind of audio novelty to it. Really? Yeah. Audio novelty. 
Yeah. Not, not, how would you say that? Audio, not, not, uh, I can't say it. Not novelty. I'm trying to make audio and novelty the same word. Uh, not audio. Odd to, novelty. Odd novelty? Yeah. Is that a thing? No, you have to kill her the IO or you're just saying odd. Yeah. No odd. Audio nov. Uh, should, should I look it up right now or not? I'd like to uh, take some it? tracks from my album <laughs> Audio Nov. Have you have you got it here? Yeah. Uh, well, hold on, sir. We have Audio Novelty here. We are looking it up here. Audio Nov. Audio Novelty. We are finding Audible books. Books, yes. We are finding a Perfect Circuit Audio in Burbank. I. I, I love audiobooks. Do you love audiobooks? I was listening yeah, about the Pacific. I'm learning all about the Pacific. You uh, 30 minute chunks. Are you really? As I fall asleep. So you're currently, currently learning about the Pacific Ocean, is that right? Well, it's about the entire history of the Pacific Ocean. It's, uh, you know, it's it's commercial history. It's it's so natural it's history. Natural and commercial history. Natural and commercial history. If you're, if you're talking yeah. about natural history, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty significant chunk. Well, it is because uh, you know the, the 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 part of the book I was listening to last night was basically you know calling out the wimpiness of it. Atlantic hurricanes versus uh, Pacific typhoons. Uh, really, you know. we don't get to experience a lot of a lot of uh, typhoons here in California. No, but the 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 death rate among anchovies when the Nino turns into El Nino. I mean, my God, I can, it's just breathtaking. I was, I was biting my pillow. You were biting your so. Is this a special pillow you have for biting, or is this just an expression? Uh, well, biting my pillow kind of means I was tense or you were in tense. sexual ecstasy, but I, in this case, just a little tense about. Okay, you know, so you felt I was kind of grieving the anchovies that die when the water too tur- turns too warm for them to be sustained. When the current there's a there's a name of a current that sort of like develops in the mid Pacific. Is it, is it is it a gyre or is that something different? That's a good word. I do. I'm like going to say it is a gyre. Do you know about the gyre? Well, I think that's isn't the gyre responsible for that all that trash out there? Yes, yes, it might be part of the gyre. It's certainly the currents. Like the current comes from the north and starts heading heading west, and it comes from the south and starts heading west. And when it gets really hot, uh, did you know this? The sea level. Like at around Midway is right. like Midway Island. Yeah, it's about two or three feet higher than it is in California because of the just because of the the water's sheer. warmer. It's expanded. Like it's actually higher. If you told me it was actually maybe a uh, hundred and seventy-five feet higher, I would believe yeah. you. Well, you yeah. got a long distance there. That is a long distance. It's hard to say what is uh, what is because distance is is so relevant to uh, or so. What is the what's the word? It's so um, distances distances and times or everything's relevant. Yeah, and relative. Relative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hi, welcome. Hi, hi, I'm the guy who doesn't know the difference between re- relative and relevant. What do you mean that the that wait, but the, the, that's the same word. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. That's your guy from your Instagram. Relevant relatives is the same damn word as far as I know. They're all kin to me. We're all brothers in this sister. We're all brothers in this world. I don't care. You know, if I got a a nephew that's like a gay relevant or 
you know, an aunt that's like a retired marine relative. They're the same to me because it's blood. Right. Every, blood in, blood out, baby. Blood in, blood out. Blood in, blood out. Do you ever think about what it'd feel like to be incredibly small? Uh... Just yeah, like, I have imagined myself as a small thing. What's the smallest you've imagined yourself on a regular basis? Uh, I'd have to probably relate that to a movie or something. Like okay. what is the like? You want to be small? Probably as small as the soldiers I used to. I, you know, they you yeah, didn't get these in America. Little airfix soldiers that were like about a not even an inch tall. We had army men, but those were about those were those way two bigger. Inches, yeah, yeah. No, these these are these little British ones that, okay. that I used to get, and and they were incredibly detailed and tiny. And the reason my vision is so crappy is because I used to paint the eyeballs on these things when I was so a kid. So that wrecked your vision, you think? Well, that and other things. What else? What other things? Well, there's all these <laughs> pictures of my mom. Like at parties when she was pregnant with me because she was a diplomat's wife and my parents were in Indonesia and oh, right. they were going to these, you know, fat, they look like movie stars. Yeah. Yeah. Because they essentially were, right? They yeah. party with movie stars. Yeah. Yeah. And there she is with her martini and her cigarette. And <laughs> there are my little eyeballs developing inside of her. So. I mean. Oh, you think that maybe did something? <laughs> yeah, I think. I, I'm pretty the, uh, sure. The cigs and it's, the booze? They write it on the sides of cigarettes right now. They have a picture of my mom. There. Oh, it causes blindness? Don't do this. Yeah. Do wear the couture. Don't, don't smoke in your first try. Do couture. Don't smoke. Don't have that second martini. Yeah, yeah I wonder. I always wonder about that because you think about all these people that we know and us and other people who are older and everything who grew up in a time when there's all this stuff that is shocking now. It's like shocking, and back then it's like yeah, it's fine. I think it's one of the things I like about you is you seem like an old. Like you seem like the kind of kid that I would have grown up with, but we're like generations apart. But it's like really maybe you were you were an right? unpoliced child, you know, like I, no helmets and I didn't have a helmet. You until, know, led to led to run around the neighborhood by parents who didn't fear kidnappers or. <laughs> Microbes or something. Well, in Rochester, Minnesota, it's about as safe as it oh, can Rochester. humanly get. Right. That place is so so boringly safe. It's absurd. And it's academic, right? It's like Rochester. Yeah, because it's the uh, Kodak is there. And... Well, Kodak is in Rochester, New York. Right. Oh, where, Rochester, where are you from? Rochester, Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. But okay. they have the Mayo Clinic there, which is highly academic. So right. pretty much everyone I knew growing up was a doctor. Not everyone I knew. Every every friend I had. Their parents were doctors. Right. So if not both of them, usually one of them. Some people I knew came from So not, not a lot of kids doc. getting to stay home from school with notes. I, I mean, you'd think that was the case, but I feel like maybe it was probably even more because the doctors are not super invested in the kids because they're too busy. And they really, like my dad is the worst. He's a surgeon, right? Mm-hmm. But he in turn, I was just talking about with, with some friends last night about how, what a terrible not a doctor, but in terms of like, if you were sick and you went to him, like, I have these, I feel this way, I feel this way, he'd go, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, you should um, rest, I guess. I, I don't know. Because <laughs> he's a surgeon. They don't right. give a shit about that. It's like, well, if I can't. It's not my territory. If I can't manually fix it, right. then I don't know. <laughs> it's also, the thing is, if you can't manually fix it, it must not be that big of a problem. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> I mean, if you, if you walk. Up to him with like a fence post through your torso. He'd go, "Now yeah. let's bond." He'd yeah, say. Let's, let's get this out. <laughs> let's sew it up. Let's do everything. Because yeah. it's like that. It's this, the surgeon machismo. There's definitely some of that. Macho yeah. surgeons. 
Macho surgeons. Macho surgeons. But you grew up in Canada in an area that's not super populated, right? In Alberta, right? No, that, I wound no. up in Alberta late. Alberta is Alberta where I got late. into comedy. Right, okay. You but and, uh, no, you my and parents were diplomats. Uh, we, uh, we, uh, we, we actually, I didn't actually live that much in Canada between like 6 and 18. We were but, abroad. So you were abroad that entire time? Pretty much, yeah. So you don't, where, where do you say you grew up then? If you say, if someone asks you that well, question. I'm still, I'm still Canadian. Cause yeah, even, you're, you're a Canadian citizen. I'm a Canadian, were, yeah. But they were Canadian diplomats. They were Canadian diplomats, and we we lived in Trinidad and Tobago and Paris and then Washington, D.C., and, and a little, when I was really young, we mm. were in Denmark and places like that, yeah. So which of those places do you feel like you picked up the most from? I feel like, you feel like Probably I, Paris. Really? Yeah. Because you parle français. Je parle français comme un, uh, <laughs> comme un crapaud. <laughs> un beau, un joli crapaud. Julie, what does that mean, joli crapaud? A frog. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't or know that. Or is that toad? I'm sure, listeners, uh, you can send comments and complaints to yeah. podcast at gmail.com to correct Mark's pitiful French. Yeah. If it is toad or if it is indeed frog. So you feel like you became sort of Parisian in a sense. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, there's a thing. I mean, it's like, it's, it's almost a medical thing. If you go to a country mm-hmm. before you hit puberty, you will absorb the language. Like if you had gone to China when you were 10, you'd yeah. speak fluent Mandarin. What is it Because you puberty? just get the system. The set would still make sense to you. And then after puberty, I don't know, things get locked down a bit. Or is it because like after puberty, your brain starts thinking about... Yeah, you got no room for anything but sex for but like that's... five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing. Sex yeah. and... Inhalants. Inhalants. I I don't I didn't do that many inhalants, but I did I did try I've done some whippets in my day. What is what do whippets do? I've never done a whippet. Whippets it's uh, it's nitrous oxide and a little can. It's called whippet because it's used to make whipped cream. So it's like this they come in these little look like miniature scuba tanks, right? So you're just buying the gas though. It's yeah, pure you bu- gas. Well you buy the these little c- compressed air tanks. They're mm-hmm. about the size of like a, a I think finger. I've seen them. Yeah, and they're thick. They're like made yeah, out of metal. they're, they're made of metal. Yeah. And you put them in this special thing. Usually it's a whipped cream container, like a canister, and you, you lock them in there, and you push the button, it pierces it. And the idea is you put cream in there, and it force injects the nitrous in there to make really good whipped cream, like natural whipped cream. But if you inhale that gas, you get super high in a way that makes you, like for about a minute, you feel sort of like you're inside of a, like a Parliament Funkadelic song. And this is this is like the stuff that a dentist would give you for your yeah. wisdom teeth. Yeah, they give oh, you. Oh, I have like, had it. Yeah, you've had it probably, but not. You have if you do a whip it, you do like a a big amount of it. You like go, and then you're like, it sounds like it sounds like maybe we can kind of recreate do, the sound do, of whip. Do me a whip okay. it. Yeah. Okay, I'll do the sound. This to me, what a whip it sounds like. I'm trying to see if I can get this right. Here we go. This one's ready. Here we go. <laughs> Hey, can I have another beer? Johnny, your dad's here. Oh, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm fine now. It only takes a few minutes and I'm totally sober. I haven't done a lot of whippets. I've only done maybe maybe 10 of them total. Some people will do 50 in a night. Is, Is there an effect? 
Yeah, like it's it makes you just feel kind of like No, but uh, I mean like after is there like a long term? You go, think, oh, that guy's whipping it out. I don't He's know. He's whipped. I think probably it's not very good for your brain cells cuz it's like oxygen deprivation. Oh, you're starving them. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't everything kill brain cells really? I mean, that probably just kills them most faster. Most fun things. Yeah, most yeah. fun things. Alcohol kills brain cells, right? And alcohol kills brain cells. Does marijuana? I don't know. I think marijuana doesn't, but I think a lot of people want you to think it does. Yeah. Did you? What would you? Did you guys ever get into? Uh, ex- was Kids in the Hall like an? Ex- you guys experiment a lot or no? With drugs? Yeah. Oh, I think they were around, but I, I, I it, it was never like thing. a main focus. Yeah. It wasn't like this band is built around this pile of cocaine. Yeah. What do you tell people who are like much younger who? If someone asks, like, oh, what's Kids in the Hall? What is that? Uh, I think like, it was kind of like we were a comedy band. A comedy basically. band. A comedy band, yeah. That doesn't make sense because it didn't feel, it never, because I grew up watching that show and it wasn't something where, it wasn't like a normal comedy thing because it was, there was like this hipness about it, like it was music as opposed to being. Well, we thought of ourselves as sort of like punk comedy. Yeah. In a way. Well, because you were. Because we, only because we, we sort of avoided getting into the, available comedy track of the time, you know, going and doing stand-up or getting into the whole world that would have led you onto the stage at Second City or something like that. We kind of just had right. a club and we did our own stuff. And, and so that came about, like, you feel, so you feel like Second City was kind of a track at that point. It was like sort of a... A little bit, Like a yeah. little, well, was well-worn territory. No, it was, it, it, the people, the, they've always, like, sucked in, like, amazing people. Right. But the content... At least, like, in Toronto Mm -hmm. in the late 80s and early 90s for us, it felt like, oh, this is very much about getting that business crowd in here and giving them a good time. Oh, yeah, okay. And they'd be amazing improvisers and really good, but it just just felt like we wanted to crack open our heads a little more to get it. Yeah, like, and get that Maybe more uncomfortable, weirder stuff. Because so you're saying this is the late 70s, 80s, so that was like a height of sort of the corporate. Well, I guess the beginning of that sort of corporate culture sort of thing. Yeah. So that was like was that at that time was that really clear that this is something you want to push against, kind of, or lean away from, or like lean into the opposite of that? Because like if you look back in retrospect, it's easy to see. Like you watch like American Psycho, like that's like yeah. a very good depiction. I feel like that's a very heightened depiction of the the business the status world of of men in suits and quote unquote yuppies. business yeah yuppies yuppies yuppies, yuppies. like is that something at what at what point do you do you remember like being acutely aware of that or was it more just like this is boring like that that sort of end of life that's sort I of, think there was uh I think there was a, a yeah there was definitely a spirit of rebellion in uh, it to that, to that sort of presented, you know, clean your lawn kind of, yeah, you know, because like the set the the sixties and seventies were over, like they were gone, yeah. And then there was like new wave music and money, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was right, like Devo, yeah. And it wasn't, yeah, it was it, it was definitely like yeah, we were we were rebelling. We did not want to be part of the mainstream. We thought the suburbs as an idea as an institution as a place to aspire to was ridiculous yeah yeah do you feel like now that sort of that idea is coming back in a way i somehow somehow i can't i feel like that i don't know like it's like it's coming back again but it's in the form of a city 
Like the suburbs are in the city now. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, are you saying like the suburbs are coming back or like the idea of rebelling against the suburbs are coming back? Well, I suppose both. But I mean, I, I guess you have to have the, the principal thing first to rebel against it, right? You have to yes. Have like the, and this is a weird city to assess something like that because it's L.A. because everybody's quasi-cool right. in a way that you know, would have made you stand out completely. Uh-huh. You know, if you had a hipster beard and <laughs> wore boot dockers, or not dockers, but, you know. Dockers would be a cool one. That would be a cool one. Yeah. But, and surfed and had a tattoo, you know, but that's my accountant here, you know, that's yeah. not, that's not, I don't know. What do you mean? What suburb are you seeing in this city of Angels I guess I just mean, it seems like this, I mean, a lot of people talk about this who are, have a better, better handle on it than me. And also, I think it's kind of boring, too. But the idea that there's all this stuff in uh, cities like L.A., and San Francisco, and Brooklyn, and pretty much any city above oh, okay. a couple hundred thousand where you have like sort of the, the yuppification of downtown. Like you go to a yeah 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 I know there's a rejection yeah. of the grit of like an urban mm-hmm. sort of city like in other words they want it's not that they want the Starbucks on the corner in fact they reject the, they Starbucks, hate the Starbucks and the Starbucks but they really want a really good place where they can get yeah their lot I'm sorry I don't want to like stereotype like a whole crew of people but I know what you mean when you said Brooklyn I got it yeah well it's this it's thing like, where it's like it's like you hate Starbucks. But yeah. you still want a leavened, safe experience yes. wherever you're going. Yeah. It's like, fuck you, corporate, but don't go away, police. Yes. It's, just, <laughs> it's so ironic. It's this yeah. thing where you want to have your cake and eat it too kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't maybe that's human nature. Maybe that's like there will always be people who yeah. circle the drain on rejecting that, and some do and some don't, but... Yeah, I know what you mean. Brooklyn is a state of mind, mm-hmm. and it's a, but it's still about getting ahead, about making money, about sending your kids to a good private school if the public school system is fucked. That's always the thing. It's, it's always not, the kids, right? Yeah. People always say, because I heard something on the radio last night about, we're talking about genome mapping and how, like, what's too far and how they're going to advertise it. Like, well, you want your kids to have a heads. You want your, don't you want your, ki- don't, don't you want, don't you want your kids to, don't, don't, don't you want your kids to have a head start? <laughs> then give them a better head. Give you know, if you want your kids to have a head start, give your kids a better head. Here's our special consultant, Mark McKinney, to tell you more. Your head shape may have been pleasing 20 years ago, dun, dun, dun. but now it lacks the square or umbilical cords that are required to super pump oxygen to the reasoning and an analytical part of the brain. Without these super umbilical cords, your IQ will never top 200. That's right. You have to have new invisible umbilical cords laced up underneath your skull that will be present from birth. Yeah. We have a marketing campaign to make these umbilical cords attractive sexually by releasing an ether into the area of town where super brain people will live in an all-inclusive pod, mate, and food environment. An all-inclusive pod that is entrance is prohibited with admission. You must submit to admission process to enter the pod of like-minded minds. Exactly. And looking down from your high tower 
upon the pathetic scrabblings of the non-heads. How dare you will be pumped out from speakers 24 hours a day down to the peons who have smaller, less shapely heads saying, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, do not look this direction. Thank you, Robert Heinlein. You're welcome. Like that. Like that. That makes total sense. Yeah, so that's yeah. Brooklyn, kids, so that's if Brooklyn, you're just joining. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, basically, it's like a thing where you like, what's too far with Geno's, man? But who knows? It's all for the kids. You always want to get those kids ahead. You have kids. Mm-hmm. Do you have multiple kids? I have two. Is it, uh, how is that in terms of, like, I always think about with comedy, because, you know, comedy is something that usually people get into because it's like a thing that's you can do because you can't do other things or you sort of feel that's how I wind up yeah. for sure <laughs> the, right. I literally sealed and cemented every possible career path really tell before. me I want to hear some well what was uh, the first one you think you tried to do uh, I went to the University of, of Newfoundland which oh. if you were Canadian you would be you'd be chuckling why is that because it's just like Newfoundland kind of as it is is it like the shipping news? Kind of, yeah, a little bit. And, but it was actually a good college, but I like completely flunked out. I just did. Okay. Why did you flunk out? What were you busy, what were you busy doing? Um, uh, acid and, uh, and repeatedly okay. See, uh, you didn't, you uh, throwing myself on the, on the impenetrable reef of my beloved's uh, uh, girlfriend's lesbianitude. Wait, I didn't I, know that. That doesn't make any sense. Wait, wait, say that again. Well, I had a girlfriend that I'd fall, kind of follow there because she oh, was okay. really neat. And she was kind of always distant, which I found really attractive. Oh, yeah. And that's, then that's cool. I went there for a year, and then she kind of like just kind of moved on. And and she left to go uh, work on a on a shipping, uh, work on a, a fisheries patrol boat. Why? And I, I had flunked out, and then, then I moved to Calgary, and I uh-huh. pined for her for two years. And, and, of course, she's been with a woman now for 35 years, so... <laughs> For 30 years. Why did you move to Calgary? Uh, well, for one, my parents who were just kind of like, well, so no college, eh? Well, good luck to you. So, right. And Calgary was kind of like, oh, you could go there and get a job because there was oil. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. I've been to, so I've been to Calgary once, yeah. The cowboy hats. Yeah, the cow- the white cow. Did you get a white cowboy hat? I think I, they gave me like a plastic one. There's yeah. a whole thing. They sent yeah. someone down from the mayor's office and they you have to go yeehaw. And oh, I wasn't treated that. like a diplomat or anything. I yeah. was just sort of like a... I was there for the comedy festival when they had a massive rainstorm that flooded the whole city. Oh, that one! Like yeah. three years ago, or yeah, whatever. Three it was. Years ago, yeah, or that four was. Years ago. Whoa, that was huge it was, deal. It yeah. was. It was really cool. It was exciting to be there. It's always exciting. To, I love weather. Big fan of extreme weather. I love weather. It's so great I to be a it. part of extreme weather because we were staying in this. I'm sorry, I'm taking a sidetrack here, but we were staying in this hotel, this big old hotel downtown. The power was out except for the lobby. So we ended up just all hanging out in the lobby, all just talking for like a day. And it was like this fever pitch of energy, you know. Were you the palacer? It was some, some, it was like the the hotel that. The big old railroad hotel hotel, with with the little tower above it? Just the big old, yeah, whatever the, the big oldie is. Yeah, the, the big oldie is the yeah. Palliser. Yeah. It was beautiful. Every was Canadian city stay. across from one end of the country has, has the big railroad hotel. Oh, because it's where like the, uh, it's yeah. where the, the president stayed. The president stayed. And, the president stayed and dined here in 1919 for 20 days. And there are ghosts days. in every one. Every single bathroom has a different shitter ghost. Yeah. <laughs> 
Different Calvin Coolidge took a massive diarrhea spray into this bathroom His here. ghost is still screaming. His ghost is still screaming, and if you bend over and smell closely on a quiet, rainy night, mm. you can smell the diarrhea. The diarrhea from Calvin Coolidge was visiting. Exactly. A strain of malaria not seen in North America <laughs> for 80 years. A special strain, I do say. Yeah. I miss that type of... Uh, that type of person. I wish Calvin like, Coolidge? Just that, that persona of um of unaware opulence and uh what do you call it? Um not, Mr. Monopoly. Like it's just that sort of that British privilege, like Uber privilege. East Coast like, old money. I do say how are you? Yeah, yeah. Well look would you look at that? That boy has no clothes on. It just isn't done. I, the way they I would just I, we would never do that in a million years. I do not understand how they. But now let you're them, doing you're doing British royal family. That's accent. what I'm. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's like that. It's like oh, the, that. Yeah. Oh, not an American thing. No, I guess it's. I don't know why I was doing that British voice. I guess it's like just my default voice for someone who's Snotty trying to and has money. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you were saying how you went. You went. You went to Newfoundland. Went to college there. Did a bunch of acid. Dropped and, out. And then you went to Calgary. Then I went to Calgary. Right. And then and then a friend of mine uh, who I had been at the student radio station with in Newfoundland, and we would make funny commercials but uh-huh. that no one heard. And then he came out, and we started just, I don't know, there was like Calgary. There was nothing going on, yeah, or pretty... so we thought. And uh, and then, like, luckily, uh, uh, about after he, he'd been there for a year, and we'd sort of we'd get together and write jokes in a notebook and wouldn't know what to do with them. Uh, he found the Loose Moose Theater, which was an extraordinary pearl sitting right there in the middle of Calgary. It's uh, it was the being loose run moose. the Loose Moose. Someone had a, a listener had a question about that actually. Oh yeah, I'm going to ask it to you right now. Sure, I'm going to ask you to this question. They said, they said, uh, they they assumed they know you studied there at the Loose Moose, and they said they assume that Keith Johnstone was your teacher. Yes. And they asked, should Keith be up there with Spolin and Del Close? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. What is what and I was think he he, like? Spolin and Del Close would have agreed. They both really? knew him, yeah. Or at least Del did. They had a rivalry. They did, really? Yeah. Because Del started Improv Olympic right. after Keith started theater sports. Oh, so he started comedy sports essentially. Basically or, Keith did. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know. He had that. an epiphany. He was at a he was at a wrestling match. He was I think at that time already at the Royal Court Theater in England and was sort of like viewed as kind of a really cool experimental director. Right. And and then he went to a wrestling match and it, saw just how insane the audience has gotten said, I want that in theater. Right. Not so, the stuffy like Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So he saw that in England, then he moved. He was he Canadian guy? No, he was. I don't know. Like it's it's such a fluke that he wound up there. He came over during this festival called Expo sixty seven, which was like Canada's hundredth anniversary in nineteen sixty seven, and he had an improv troupe that he brought over, and no one had seen improv before, so they kind of had this show that they did in the British Pavilion, where they'd ask the audience what ending they wanted, and then they'd do it, and wow. sometimes they even had shot some film that they could run, and it was just like, they were just incredibly That nimble. sounds progressive, even by today's standards. Yeah, yeah, say. it was. It was like that time where, like, oh, is improv, like, somewhere between ballet and opera and, yeah. like, high, high-end theater? It was like, it was a thing. And out of that, because he was such a smash, uh, the University of Calgary were looking to start a drama department. 
And I guess they just bribed him to come. So wow. he moved there in the early 70s. And I I was really lucky. We were all really lucky because we, we happened to be – we happened to go into that theater in the, you know, 8 to 12 years that he was there and active and teaching and it was his thing and he was growing it. How long was he there when you when you guys showed up? Uh, well, he was there when I when I got there. Is this you and Bruce, or is this someone else? It's myself, Bruce, Norm, a guy named Frank Van Keek, and Gary Campbell. These are all people who are still in the business. Okay, uh, yeah, who will came? We we sort of became a troupe. And is Bruce the, your buddy from College Radio though, or is that was that someone that? That's Norm Hiscock. Okay, yeah. So you guys showed up at the theater. When Keith, how long had it been going going at that point? Not that long. Like right. I think only two or three years. But they had they. It was a popular show on Saturday and Sunday night. This place called the Pump House in Calgary. The Pump House. Yeah, that's the name of a restaurant at this gas station in Minnesota. <laughs> it the was literally house. a pump house. It was literally a pump house in a park. A pump house. And then uh, and then so Norm and I formed a team called the Steel Belted Refugees. And then. The next, and then that very next summer or something like that, they bought, they finally had enough money to buy this theater up in the northeast of Calgary, which wasn't a theater, it was actually a cattle auction mart, you know? So they bring the cattle in one side. But yeah. Keith reasoned that probably people in Alberta didn't know a lot about theater and sight lines, but they knew cattle, so he wanted one of those. Wow. And it turned into a great space. And because we had that, that's how Norm and Bruce and Gary and I got to write our own comedy and put on our own show, like late nights on Saturday. and. So were you guys like studying with Keith at that point or how was it sort of? We were studying. We'd go to his classes and then we stopped mm-hmm. taking those. But I was really into it. So I went and I took his class at the university. I went back to college for a year. and then. But then we kind of blew up in Calgary. Okay. And, and it was time to hit the big time, Toronto. When you uh, – what, what, what was your first um, in, introduction to improvising? When did you uh, first know about that? Like that was like a thing. That was it. That was at the Loose Moose. Like Norm – Hiscock saw it. He'd seen it, and he said, "You got to come see this." And we went the next week, and we went. This is fantastic because it was just like teams, and they had it graded. So the people who knew it better were doing the forty-minute games, and then oh, if you cool. were a beginner, you'd do a ten-minute game. And we went up to Keith afterwards. He said, "We want to join." He said, "Okay, well, you're on next week." Ah, oh, that's so cool. So we were like on stage, like not knowing anything. We were terrible. But it was like a mind-blowing thing where you know you see something that you really liked, you didn't know you liked. Like what, what you've been searching for something for a long time, yeah. not knowing what it was, and then you see the thing. Oh, that's the thing. Kind of not. Right. I mean, we knew that was kind of neat, and we knew right. that yeah, we had to pursue this, but we didn't. It took a while to realize just how much of an answer to our big question that was. Because it gave us everything. We get we got to take over theater. We got to right. write our own sketches, do our own shows. When we like, we got good at improv. But then when the sketch shows started taking off and. Like and because Calgary was like a town that was like you know any town that's kind of like in the Midwest that's like starved for culture. If there's something good going on, like everybody finds it like that. Yeah. So that's so interesting because yeah, improv is one of those things where you think about that. Like it, it's kind of it's relatively new, at least in terms of comedy. It, well, it is. It isn't. I mean, I didn't like structure. Like I mean, it goes all the way back to Russian dude. You know right. what I mean? Stanislavski? I was going to say Kandinsky, but Stanislavski okay. is the right answer. It was Stanislavski's? It was Stanislavski. Kandinsky's a painter. Uh, I can't believe you messed that up. I'm sorry, man. Can we just erase this yeah, hold entire on a second. tape? Let me just play some so- uh, play a sound. They're going to go ahead and erase everything here real quick. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sc- listeners, I'm really sorry about this. This is uh, Mark McKinney here today. 
Uh, he's a great guy. He's he's a good person. He made a small mistake. You're just gonna have to. Uh, it's gonna be okay. Okay. I just, want to apologize to the Kandinsky estate. Okay, no problem. Does he have an estate? Oh, good. I would hope so. I hope he has a estate. He's a hell of a painter. You you like a, you're a painter guy. I wish. Do you paint? I uh, I buy painting supplies and then I uh, really I don't use them a lot, but I want to. You want to? I got an art book coming. Going to teach me how to sketch. Teach you how to sketch. I'm going to sit there on the set while America Frere and Ben Feldman are doing the scene. I'm going to sit back in my high back chair with my name on it. I'm going to take out my. I got these new. Um, what do you call it? Oh, they're pens, but they're just not pens. They're not any regular pen. Are they, they got crayons? a paintbrush tip. They oh, got a paintbrush. You're tip. You're talking so about they, a brush pen. They brush pen. They slide across the paper. Like Peggy Fleming at the 56 Olympics. Ooh, leaving a trail of blues and pinks and yeah. wild greens and blacks and grays. <laughs> While He's art is being captured by the camera, I'll be, I'll be sitting there. And, and then they'll finish their scene and they'll wander over and they'll see that I'm so deeply absorbed by a convulsive art experience. And they'll say, hey... What are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? I'm Ben. And I'll, I'll take another flick of the pen and then I'll make sure it's perfect and I'll turn Watch it around out. and I'll show them and they'll look at it and their brains will go. Ooh, 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 I have been born again in the art of Mark McKinney. <laughs> I've been born again in the art of Mark McKinney. Blurred. So you've, have you never experimented with art? He'd, ne- he'd never done art? I, I did when my kids were uh, younger. I had, a st- I had a true loft studio in downtown Toronto, and I got some of that... Um, now we're in an Apple commercial. Are we? Well, that's, that's what the music's trying to convey, I suppose. Apple paper. I had an apple paper. A long, 30-foot-long sheet... And we would draw mountainscapes on it. Really? And make these gigantic paintings. And oh, then that, when that was done... The kids had to love that. Yeah. Apple Sculpey. Oh, Sculpey's great. Sculpey's Sculpey. the best. Do you remember Fimo? Fimo's good, but Sculpey you can you can reform. And I had a... Oh. There was an empty fish tank in this mm-hmm. old loft that someone had left. So we would make sea creatures and then paint them. Or bake them, because you got to bake the Sculpey and then you can okay. paint the word colors. But that's something you can do and you don't have to be good at art. Because you can just make a shape and stick an eyeball on it, and you've made something. Because the sea is amenable. the sea. No one knows Nobody what's knows. going on down there. The Pacific, no one. No one knows the Pacific. Such a deep ocean. It, the Marianas Trench is so deep. Is five thousand light years deep. Five, I thought you were going to say five thousand times deeper than the tallest mountain on Earth. On Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that uh, too. Yeah, I, I was reading a similar book called uh, Everything You've Always Wanted to Know and Now You Know It. That book by um, <laughs> by by Jessica Jessica. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, the same thing. She sounds thing. really opinionated. She's actually purely fact-based, but they right. come out as an opinion tone. Really? So there's give, me, three, give me a fact as an opinion. Um, a fact as an opinion. Um, well, okay, here we go. <laughs> a fact is an opinion. Well, I'm pretty sure that the last time I was at this beach, the amount of sand was the exact equivalent to the number of stars in the sky. Grains of sand. It's, is that a fact? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
London. No, that's that's just a bald fact. That's a hard. It's a bald fact. That's a comedy premise that we'll just have to keep whipping. Yeah, this is that's, its that is kind of a hard fruit. one. That's a hard one. Uh, opinion. I like has. the idea of a character though who who manages to make fact sound like they're berating you with a nagging request. I guess it's kind of the tone with the news is these days a lot. You know? oh. Just in general. That's all I do now is I flip between MSNBC and CNN going, this country's fucked. This country's really, fucked. This are you really invested fucked. in it? Mm, a little bit. Because you're a citizen. Are you an American no, citizen? No, I'm Canadian. Still... But I'm here. And look, you How know, it's work? the United States. This isn't like, you know, a country that, that doesn't have vast, you know, consequences worldwide. Like, right. I mean, if, if America catches a cold, we sneeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drop me. <laughs> Is that about Canada? You mean if America catches a cold, Canada sneezes? Yes. Yeah. You just said the we. The world has to sneeze. The world has to sneeze. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I've seen this. This is like, I can't believe I'm actually this old. I'm like, I'm, I'm over 50 now. And right? one of the things that my mom did, my mom was one of those moms who like pushed you, like handed you like Goethe to read when you were like 11. Oh, wow. Because you said you liked a poem once. Well, read this. It's 47-page epic in the original German. <laughs> no, Mom. She took us to the Watergate hearings or took me to the Watergate Are you hearings. Yeah. Took to the public hearings. You to the public hearings. She what had a friend. What did you think who, about that? Not much. I was really young, but I do remember. Well, how I, young is really young? Uh, I was like eleven or twelve. Okay. Yeah. No, I was I was getting it. I was okay. understanding because we were following it. And my parents were fascinated mm-hmm. by it, and you know, and there it was. But it was kind of like there was white hats and black hats in 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 those days. Mm-hmm. That's the way I thought of it. You mean just like there was a, a pure distinction between people? It there were good guys and bad guys, mm-hmm. and I think like you watch. Fox and it makes you angry, but sometimes you watch right. MNBC and it makes you angry for the exact same reasons. You're going, yeah. you're not being, you're not being strict with yourself about the information. No, you're just being playing fast and loose. And yeah, you're just sort of talking to talk, and you're losing potential converts, people who yeah. are in the middle. That those three guys and those two women that haven't decided where they stand on this yet, yeah, are kind of going. Oh, neither of you are really being kind of straight, right? Because if people people change their opinion based upon a uh, just something, a very short. I mean, do you think there's something there? Do you think there's something at the end of this whole Trumpian edifice is going to come crashing to the ground because, like, some deeply dark conspiracy is going to be found out? Or do you sort think of think so. they're just sloppy? They had no idea what they were doing. I think um, this is how I think about stuff because I I used to really think that the nine eleven attacks were. Uh, a conspiracy, like an did inside. Did you really? I did at one point. This is a while ago. Thought I was an inside job. How old and why? Well, How did you jump to there? Well, there's, there's, at that time, like a, like a year after that or so, I guess I was I was like maybe nineteen, twenty, right? And so were you doing whippets? Um, no, I hadn't discovered <laughs> I hadn't discovered whippets yet. Whippets lifted you out of that. <laughs> but there's there's all this compelling information in terms of certain documentaries that say that. But then if you pull back a little bit, is this the, is this the black helicopter that drops a barrel on the roof? Essentially, it's, yeah. It's 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 not as uh, it's not as cool as that. But the idea there's there's a bunch of ideas. But the main idea is that they were blown up with uh, explosives. But the thing is, is that. For that, to, if you pull back, which I eventually did, and think about it more, you have to. Um, that means that the government 
and everyone who was involved in that were incredibly deft and smart and just so good. And thousands and thousands of people right. in the intervening years, not one person has stepped up to say, hey, I know. Like, it's just impossible. Well, it's, it's because the, the big thing that got me to not think that is realize is that people just aren't very smart. No. But most things happen not because of someone, not because of a conspiracy or a cabal to commit something bad. Most things happen. Most bad things happen because someone was like wasn't paying attention mm-hmm. or just didn't care. And the worst thing that could happen is someone's like, "Oh, I see this coming, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to cause yeah. a problem." Yeah, like Flint, like yeah. the water up in Flint. You just don't say anything. Yeah, like it's not. It's not a fucking. There's almost never someone who's doing something evil on a really grand scale. I think it's most of the time just people who are dumb, selfish, and greedy, and they get caught up in their greed and do things that seem like they're evil when actually they just weren't thinking about uh, weren't thinking about the full ramifications of their actions or how they would get caught. Or they can't believe they got away with they it. They can't believe they got away with like, it. Like yeah. Richard III in, in, in the, with the, the Queen Anne scene, you know. Where basically she's burying his husband, mm-hmm. her husband, that he's killed. And in the course of like one scene. This is Shakespeare, Shakespeare right? scene, yeah, yeah, this is Richard III. He seduces her. He, by the end of it, she's like, okay, I'll get married. Like he just, and, he's, and, his, and his speech at the end is like, oh my God. Like I can't believe I got away with this. <laughs> Are you freaking kidding me? I must be amazing. And then he goes on to just like you know kill the princes and have. But I think that's a truism. I think that people just kind of you get a guy who's kind of I'm fucking nuts, man. I'm going to yeah. try it. And then if they walk through the door and they get away with it, it's like I think I think that's Trump's whole career. Probably. Oh, don't, I don't think he did not. He just wait. He didn't plan on winning at all. I don't think he planned on winning. I think one day he saw his dad go to court and said, "Yeah, they caught us red-handed, but fuck it, we're going to tell them they're liars." Right. Dad got away with it. And then he learned how that's how you get ahead. It's like I remember the first time I lied to a teacher. And I was like, I was so nervous because uh, my friend Matt, he copied my vocabulary homework. This is probably like seventh grade, maybe sixth grade, something like that. He copied my vocab homework. The teacher brings us up to her desk afterwards. Matt was a really cool guy, like a very cool guy. He had older brothers, like, you know, really cool dude. I'm the oldest, so I'm not cool. And uh, the teacher, she asked us, she was like, uh, Matt, Johnny, can you guys come up to the desk here? I looked at your vocabulary homework, and you both got the exact same answers wrong. Um, what's going on? What happened there? And Matt looks at me. He didn't know what to say. And I all of a sudden, out of nowhere, say, oh, yeah, Matt came over to my house, and we worked on it together. Uh, I'm sorry. She goes, oh, Okay. And that was it. And it fucking worked. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And afterwards, I saw Matt's face. He was just like, holy shit. <laughs> you just you just opened up a door for yeah. me. <laughs> now he's going to be indicted in five years. Probably. That's where that trail that you started him down will end. But it was like so cool to feel like, oh, this guy thinks I'm cool now because I just got saved his ass and mine. Because I, you know, because I'm goody two shoes would never. She knew the teacher wouldn't. Would never suspect me right. of saying that because it wasn't it wasn't true. But <clears throat> well, it's always, good that you remember that because that means you probably yeah. come around to being honest. Otherwise, that would just be the rosebud of your deception, yeah, <laughs> deceptive career. But it's also a thing too. Where you realize in comedy and in acting and stuff, for the most part, if you tell someone, tell an audience member something, they think it's true unless it's proven otherwise. 
Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you say, I'm... Do you mean, like, theater, or you mean comedy? Well, theater and comedy. Just, I, I lump them together. Like, right. Just because... The me, arts. Com- comedy is They're out theater. there, they're looking at you, and you're in the light, and you say something, and they believe it. And, yeah. yeah. If you just say... Because you have, like, you're given that inherent power because you're on stage, so there's, like, that mechanism of safety. Uh-huh. And so, so if you say something, it has to be taken as true because it's in the theater. So it's like that thing where... It's like you realize as a comedian... You have all these, you have a lot of uh, what's the word? You just have a lot of wherewithal to a lot of license to yeah to deceive a lot of agency. There's you a word I learned you know, five agency? minutes ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's the, isn't that a communications degree level word? I don't. I mean, I know. I guess it I don't is important it to provide our clients with agency to address the trauma that they had. What we're doing is creating a synergistic effect of cross-platform multimedia socials, where mm-hmm. we're using sort of a we're taking problematic data sets and infusing them with a systematic regurgitation episode that causes a systemic yet, uh, yet beneficial reaction downstream. Downstream's well, a good one. Well, downstream is where, you know, to circle around. Right, circle to your, back. To circle back and around and under your point. Yes. To sort of circuitously or perhaps concomitantly engage them. Uh, the downstream is now the er or the super id of the entire process, I'm finding. We're trying to create a synergistic platform that has a woo to it that can be attached to multi-platform demographic dimensions such as 18 to 25, 26 to 16, and sort of 14 up to 24 to allow a reintegration of the product synthesis down back through where the genesis lands. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. at that genesis landing point is Mm -hmm. perhaps where we will in the future be developing a secondary or perhaps even tertiary uh, analytical model uh, to give further impetus to uh, uh, back-timing data sets. I feel like the tertiary concept is something we've overlooked quite a bit in these data sets here because we're looking at this group as a systemic organism. Mm -hmm. It's going to create offshoot hypersets. And if we have those and we look back to where the data is going, it's pointing us in a direction that we don't really understand the future outcome possibilities. But with a causal influence correlation, we can really create a great synergistic multi-platform experience for the user. I think, I, th- and I think a synergistic experience is going to depend on advancing past the primary, past mm-hmm. the secondary, mm-hmm. past the tertiary, uh-huh. to the, and I don't even know if there's a word for it, the quadratuary? Well, the quadrennial analytics. Quadrennial qu- analytics are a field that I could, I could just talk all night. I could speak through my I mic. Could sit, I could sit in a, in a pool of vomit and urine mm-hmm. happily talking about that. I could spray for days through my micro hypertubes into the ether talking about quadrennials. I wouldn't I wouldn't require anything but the the, the, the occasional periodical mentioning of quadrennials. Quadrennial, there I am. I've that been would be fed. It. that would be my, I'm fed. I'm fed. I'm that full. is my buffet. Yeah. My daily buffet is hearing the word quadrennial spoken yeah. spoken from any mouth source. And any language. Any language. But I believe it was Spakeshear who said, by any rose a name would be sweet for such this is where you have the rose is thorn. Yeah. And as he also said, every thorn has its rose. Yes. Which was an astute observation. It's a complete reversal Mm -hmm. and so clever. And this is what clinched him his PhD in Heidelberg. I thought you were mentioning Dr. Clinchtum, but he's also... Well, Clinchtum is another conversation. Yes. uh, The reversal of... 
every rose have its thorn to the brilliant sort of and provable apposition that every thorn has its rose. Yeah, it's quadrennial. Oh, I'm back. He's back. <laughs> He's back. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you about all that stuff. It's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fully true. So uh, when's the last time you took LSD? <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, uh, no, oh God, college, college. I'm trying to actually remember, like not near, I'd be terrified to do it now. This was like. When you took it for the last time, did you remember, were you like, oh, this is going to be the last time or it just sort of just happened to be the last time? Just kind of happened. It just passes out. It's just like, who's got the day? You know what I mean? You you just don't have the day anymore Uh at a certain point. And I was, and it was probably as, as the comedy thing was happening, because then I just wanted to write. Sketches. Yeah. There was less. There was less experimenting, and then there was a sameness to the experiences. So, what do you mean the sameness to the experiences? Well, it kind of became like if we couldn't have beer on campus, you'd do that. And we like when I was in Newfoundland, they, they just built this new aquatic center that mm. had like a sixty foot deep end, and oh, it was man. abandoned on Saturday night. And we we'd go there, and then we'd dive in, and then we'd just be in the water for like five hours. That's a psychedelic experience. That is. Yeah. Someone was telling me that that. Uh, a swimming underwater does something to your brain, like it gives you this sort of a theta state that you can't achieve any other way. Is that true? I guess so. Is that what is that what isolation tanks would be? About I then? think it's similar, but I I think it's something about the sound, the way the water fills your ears. It tells your brain something that causes it to uh, think about things differently. It like caught. It's, it's some special. I mean, this is just wow. really casual That's really me mentioning this, but I'm sure if you are you a water person? Do you like water? I'm not a super big. I'm not. I'm not an Aquarius, but I do like water. But I mean, do you feel good and in, in it around it? Like, I get yeah, some I sort like of special it. kick out of. Water. I do like water. I do. I don't ever go to the beach though. I feel like the beach is overrated. Really? Yeah. I can't imagine living anywhere else. I was stunned that like because people when I would. You know, because I work right. at Universal, yeah. you know, where I work, in, and I Superstore NBC. Yeah. And Nicole Bloom's out there, and she's yeah. a surfer, and I, I can't Well, maybe it's because I'm coming from Toronto. Just the idea of, like, coming from the cold northern right. Toronto going, what, I can live next to a beach? That's true. That's what I'm going to do. I guess for me, the beach is just something where the beach is different than the water. The beach is great, but— The beach is a scene, you mean. Yeah, the it's speedway a scene. is a scene. Yeah. It's just there's like, there's so much there's so many people there, and it's not really you know what it's just not really my vibe, man. I want to be like in like a chill area. But I, I, I get the impression you're imagining some sort of like first of August beach scene, stepping in melted ice cream pools yep. and like bumping yeah. up against greasy people with too many muscles and stuff. And for me, it's like it's October when like kind of everyone's gone and you yeah. can take your towel and all the lifeguard stations are closed and it's a gray sky, but this but ocean's still... warm enough to jump into a wave and then watch the porpoises jumping around. It's like a difference engine. See, that does sound pretty nice. Yeah. I suppose I just like the isolate. I like nature and uh, when it's more... Uh, you do. I saw those pictures from isolate. South Africa and stuff. You like to you like to go away. Oh, I didn't really get that far away in South Africa. It was probably... It probably seemed like I was. But well, there were so many actually. wild and dangerous animals yeah, that's in true. your videos. So. There was a bunch of those. I take it you weren't downtown. Oh, it was not downtown. Mm-mm. Well, I was... We stayed downtown. We were downtown... But that's what sucked about it, is staying downtown. Because it, is it, were you in Johannesburg? No, we were in Cape Town. Cape Town. Which one is the, the really dangerous? Johannesburg is so incredibly dangerous. It's it just. You don't go. I mean, it's something where 
someone, one of the drivers told us one day that the central business district of Cape Town is the safest place in all of South Africa, uh, as far as like a, a city or any type of um, non-rural environment mm-hmm. goes. And it is very dangerous compared to any place in America. So it's like the safest place there is still, it's just rife with knife crime and knife crime muggings. Like everyone gets mugged. Two of the actors were mugged in the daytime on a Sunday. Like casually mugged or knife to their juggler kind of mugged? I think a guy had a knife. He, I mean, he probably would have used it. I think they, they could have been more freaked out, but still, if you walk around on a Sunday afternoon, a few blocks from the hotel you've been staying at for a few months, and all of a sudden someone pulls a knife on you and asks you to for your money, you're kind of like, what, here, now? I know I would I would be But I was just in my room. But I was but this is Sunday. I was having it's, a club sandwich. You can't mug me. It's daytime. It's not like yeah. You can't do that. Wait, can you can wait a sec, can you mug in the daytime? <laughs> it's that kind of thing where it's Can just, I see your daytime mugging license? You didn't have a daytime mugging license to <laughs> come around here, Dad Yeah. It's just it's, it's like a different world because people the poverty is just so extreme that uh, people don't care about losing their life in a crime. Because there's just uh, people. People will have their helms broken into, and maybe tied up and held at gunpoint by a ba- a bunch of bandits, all because they left a window slightly ajar, and someone was able to get in over the electric fence, and they'll just steal like their TVs. So this, you're talking like a city under siege, sort of. But it's not. It's not like constant. It's just a thing where you, everything has to be locked down and secured. It has any value because it will be stolen by someone who has literally have nothing whatsoever. So they'll. So it's like the East Village, nineteen eighty nine. I guess I don't. <laughs> yeah. Did you live there then? I did. Well, I lived. Yeah, yeah. Late late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. That must have been a. Uh, was that was that pretty cool? It That's, was. It was. I lived there. Well, uh, when Lauren Michaels sort of discovered us, he brought us down to New York to sort of toughen us up. It was like a really good thing to do. We just we just had these little apartments, and I had an apartment near the East Village. And I remember one morning getting up because somebody said, "Oh yeah, you got to go to this place. It has really good pancakes." And I was up early, <laughs> like really early, like seven a.m. Yeah. on a winter day, and I'm walking across Tompkins Square Park, which is where there was about to be a huge homeless village, but there was just a lot of. That's people NYU, there. right? Uh, Tom, yeah, 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 it's way over. Is that the right? Yeah, I got that right one. And this huge shirtless guy in the winter. Yeah, clearly like like either insane or on drugs or probably yeah. both. Sort of looked at me, and I had sort of like these coke bottle glasses and this straight hair. And he looked at me and said, "Oh my God, it's Bernie Getz, who's this like this, yeah, he's this a subway killer. shooter? No, oh, subway sorry. shooter, racist subway shooter." He and thought he, fa- Bernie, he thought I was Bernie Getz, and so he was scared of me. But so he was following me like about a half block behind, but waking up the neighborhood to let them know Jesus. that Bernie Getz was walking free. Was he? Was this a person who was incarcerated at the time, or no? Uh, he must have been. Yeah, because he was, was just, in the news. He was on the cover of the Post. Yeah. This was like this was back in the battle days. Of that I just remembered the, the lyric that from and the, the Tawana Brawley stuff and all that stuff. Who's Tawana? What? Tawana Brawley was oh. someone who. Claimed she had been kidnapped and had racist stuff written on a young black woman. And then, and it was, who was it? It was the guy who's on CNN now. Reverend, oh, come on, brain. Oh. Forget it. It was just whatever it was. It so was all racial tension It was stuff. a big to-do. It was a big to-do. Oh. Yeah. Well, what happened? That guy, like, you, you have to run away from him and get the pancakes? Uh, I didn't get my pancakes. 
I went back to my I went back to my place. Oh, so you just cold you skipped cereal. the pancakes. I skipped the pancakes because I was kind of freaked out. So Lauren found you guys in Calgary. No, he found us in Toronto. Toronto. Or actually, his people found us in Toronto a year before this, and and then what uh, year was that? That was eighty five, summer found, of eighty five. And he found the the you guys were performing. We were performing in Toronto in a theater, and he had just returned to SNL after taking a few years off, mm-hmm. and so he was putting together this this cast, and he was looking for writers, and so he sent some talent scouts up to check out the second city, but the day the talent scouts landed, we got this really great review in in a big Toronto newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so they came and checked us out. And out of that, Bruce and I got hired as, as junior writers for the show for a year. And then after that, he came and saw the troupe. So you guys, you wrote on SNL for a year before yeah. you were a, yeah. a casty. Yeah. As they call him a casty. A casty. Well, no, it was uh, we wrote, then we did Kids in the Hall, then I went back as a casty. Right. How, how many years? Later, how many years was that after Kids in the Hall? Uh, uh, let's see. Eight, well, about ten years. So it's eighty-five. Man. Eighty-five. We were junior writers, and then we did development, and then Kids in the Hall, and then I went back and I joined the cast in ninety-four, ninety-five. You were telling me that was kind of a weird experience, right? Because you had just had, you guys had your own show. That you were fully in charge of everything, yeah. then to go to this thing that's kind of like a big machine that's being operated by someone who's has all the, it wasn't it, wasn't our thing. Yeah. Like we've been yeah. Like once you once you've been given kind of like the steering wheel, it's uh-huh. really hard. Like you have to you have to understand that you're not on the steering wheel. Yeah. Again. How, did it, how long did it take you to sort of be okay with that or feel make to feel okay? Um it took me about a year after leaving to sort of kind of find my feet again. And mm-hmm. I, I, it was really simple. I just did something like I went and I did a play in a part, and I took a, a part in a play off-Broadway. This is after Kids yeah. in the Hall? No, after? this is after SNL. Okay. The second time. And then I, I did a part in a play, and it was like a really great character part in this this French farce. Right. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, so that's that I remember. And then sort of all the other muscle memory about writing and other stuff came back. Because you felt like you had to sort of uh, put that away for when you're in SNL because it was... I felt like it was like leaving my body. Really? Yeah, because I literally could not have been hotter, sort of as an up-and-comer in a sense, <laughs> when I got there. I'm glad you said and that because like, I'm like, yeah, my yeah. body was so, so sexy at the time. I no, no, I don't mean my like... Body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and, then, and then it was like it was like sliding off a roof for three seasons, you know, slowly... Because you and just felt sort of uh, like you just couldn't get any oh, traction. Oh, the more the more I wanted it, like uh, the the harder it came to deliver it. Wow, it became to deliver it. Yeah, that's such a weird thing. That you, it's hard it's hard to think about is how trying is such a, can be such a um, such a destructive force sometimes. It really is. Like also, tr- trying too also, hard. it's like a, such a cliche. Like not understanding that failure is a fantastic teacher. Yeah, or a set, I don't even call it failure—a setback, or or heading the down the a blind alley and hitting a dead end. Is so, like, if like that being on that show was that for you, or it was more just being on there and that's. Like, it was you, about sort of breaking the continuum, a creative okay. continuum, because then I couldn't like it. It is your job. It was like yeah. I don't know how many episodes they do now, but we were still doing twenty-two to a year back there. So that was your year. Yeah, it's kinda. very it takes up a lot of time. And and yeah, and it's I think. I think it, it, it just wasn't for me, but it took me a long time to figure it out. So I, when you when you left, did you? How does that work? Because you can't 
just leave the oh, show. Oh, no. No, I, was, I wasn't asked back. Yeah. Well, to be put a finer point on it. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to put a fine, not to yeah. put too fine a point on it. I was tr- I was trying to quote the uh, quote they, they might be giants because you said yeah. the Expo. 67. What they do is they gradually for your last few shows they make your clothes smaller. Oh, and you start to like and so basically by the end you're going out in ripped what looks like short pants and ties that are only like two inches long and you feel dumb so you want to get out so they make it easier for you. That That's way. an old trick I guess for uh, costume costumers who hate like a uh, really bitchy lead actresses kind right. of thing. It's an old trick is you make their clothes make it similar to getting fat. Yeah. Like, oh, no, I'm gaining weight. Yeah. Do you want to play the question game now? Sure. Okay, so this is the, this is the first time doing this on the podcast. We're now going to do something called question time. Now beginning question time with Mark McKinney. Let me just cue up the question song here. This has got nothing to do with that that thing that they do in Vanity Fair with the Proust questionnaire or whatever it is. Oh, this has nothing to do with Vanity Fair. Thank Why you. would I have anything to do Proust with Vanity Fair? Proust is a dick. Where's the song I had? Here it is, the question song. Here we go. These are listener-submitted questions I'll be asking Mr. Mark McKinney. Go, Here we go, 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 go. Mark McKinney, horses or wolves and why? Wolves. Because uh, they're in a pack. They're meaner and horses scare me. Okay, horses scare you, not wolves. Got it. Next question. Ever swam in a pool and not peed in it? Yes. Yesterday. The ocean's not a pool. The ocean is not a pool. I was okay. in a pool. Well, it kind of is a pool, but I suppose it's not a pool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark McKinney, legs for arms or arms for legs? Legs for arms or arms for legs. Arms for legs. Arms for legs. Four hands. Bring it. Okay. This is not a very, uh, okay, here we go. Ready? Will you ever in your life just eat berries for one whole week? No. Have you ever thought about eating just berries? No. Okay. Favorite place to eat a corn dog? Circus. Circus. Can we get uh, some more? Hold on a second. I'm checking. Uh, Are we good with... Their judges are saying we need a more specific answer. A specific circus would do? The circus fair I went to in New Brunswick, Canada, Expo 67 year, 1967. Got it. So yeah. the, the corn dog's really good. That, that is the answer is correct. That's I where I want to eat it. You do? I don't know if they had it, but that's where I want to eat it. That's, that's my maximum fairground experience. It was kind of magical. That's, that's Handful your... of nickels and freedom and rides. Handful of nickels, freedom and rods. Okay, final question here. This is not a uh, fun question. This is sort of a, this is a listener asking, any chances of another Kids in the Hall tour? And if so, which reoccurring character in the show was your favorite to play? Oh. It's a two-parter. There's a two-parter. I would say that uh, I I can't speak. I would go out on the road. It's a fantastic, I, I swear, it's one of the best things in the world is to have a troupe at my age that can actually still pull in enough of an audience to pay for your peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> and, and screw around. And we're, we still amuse each other. And Darrell, I would say. Darrell. 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 There you have it. That was the question portion of Live to Take Featuring. We made it. We made it through the question portion. 
question, 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 answer, question, 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 answer, answer the question, answer the question, question the answer, no, answer the question, no, question the answer. Do you question the answer or answer the questions? Which is it, soldier? General, the right outside. Outside the goddamn gates. How dare you, how dare you insubordinate my lead? They're right outside the goddamn gates. Muta. Muta. Uh, is there anything you'd like to leave listeners with? Before we gently extricate ourselves from this current recording I situation, so. I could talk for a much longer. I'll leave you with this. I'll come back if asked. Yeah, okay. Uh, I will ask you back. Um, we'll have more Coca Cola for you and maybe some uh, uh, bowls of small snacks, like some, like some, uh, uh, like some uh, rice crackers or maybe like some uh, some peanuts or smokehouse I like a bowl. I see a bowl full of small wrapped candies that are actually mixed in with fresh, just washed pieces of fruit, maybe grapes or berries, though I won't eat them for a week. Okay, wait a second. Are you saying that these, these candies are wrapped next wrapped. to. Wrapped. I, Hard candies. But why would they be next cherry. to fruit that's washed? I'm just telling you, in this bowl, it's like a meeting of appetites. So are these, are these whole fruits or these cut-up fruits? I want small fruits. Berries, raisins, grapes, cold. I thought, I'd, when you said cold, I thought you were about to say corn, and I was going to laugh. But then I realized I, I allowed you to finish saying the word, which became cold, not corn. But if it was corn, I would say yes. That would be fucking bizarre to have corn in a fruit bowl with hard uh, candy wrapped. Butter corn surrounded by grapes and berries with hard wrapped candy to top it off. I'm coming back. Come on down to Slipstream Jack Bitch Town. We've got hot buttered corn surrounded by fresh washed fruit and hard candies wrapped in beautiful cellophane colored paper. Grab a slingshot and fire a hard wrapped candy into the face of your best friend. Down here at Slappy Jack's Tavern, you can put anything on the floor, including your own shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Next time you come, please bring your friend Gene Hackman. We know you're in contact with him. Don't lie and say otherwise. And you can follow Mark on the television on a show called Superstore on the National Broadcasting Channel. It's also available on Hulu, which stands for How You Leave Uninformed. <laughs> also, you can view the show Kids in the Hall, however you choose to view it. Is there a special way to view it now that you'd prefer? Watch it on an old 4x3 TV set. Yes, standard, and please. turn off the news for a week before you do it. Turn off the news, yeah. eat your berries, and do what you need to do. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast here. And if you need to send an email of any music or requests for guest questions, it's also live to tape podcast at Gmail. You can also check out the Twitter account, and you can figure it out, dumbass. Thanks for being here, Mark. Bye. Also, come see me in Montreal in July 20th through the 29th. I'm doing comedy.
What were you doing it? Do you know you? I'm not sure yet. It's part of the Montreal Comedy Fest, also known as Just for Laughs. I'm doing performances off JFL, which is where all the cool kids do it now. It's the best place. It's one of the greatest places to be and to do. You know what I'm going to do when you turn off the mics? I'm going to tell you where you can go and get a beautiful smoked trout sandwich in old Montreal. I, I don't want everyone to know, but you, Johnny, I will uh, tell you. I can't wait to find out and also withhold that information from loved ones. Yes. They will not know where to get a fucking smoke trout. Somewhere among the 500-year-old buildings of old Montreal in seven or ten days hence, Johnny Pemberton will sit down on the sun-kissed sidewalk and eat the best smoke trout sandwich in Canada. I can't GD frickin' goddamn fracking lace. <laughs> <laughs>